One, two, one, two. One night you're in the house. All right, all right. What happened? Okay. You good? You good? Yeah. Comfortable? All right. Andrea Coleman, Stan Morse. Yes. And Rock Logic is not here today, but um, we're going to be hanging out. I'm ESP, and I'm just going to be hanging out with everyone for a moment. And you all look beautiful, but you know what? Let's figure out what's going on with yes. our host today, Sandrea. What's happening, darling? Hey, all. It's good to see you all once again. Miss you, Rock. Miss you, miss you, miss you, but we're yes, in sir, capable I, hands. Yes. We're definitely in capable yes, hands in today. So my week starting off, um, how my week was normal with the UES for BLM, you know, dealing with that, the vigil every day at, at 7 p.m., 86 in Eastern Avenue at Carl Schultz Park, um, constant check-ins with my seniors in the five, five buildings on the campus of Holmes Towers and Isaac Houses. Um, had uh, Shauna Kay out with us um, at the UES for BLM. Wow. She was out there with us um, back to back last weekend this week. Great. So it was good to have her. And um, I actually came coming off of a two day um, training um, with Eastside Institute on the how of performative activism. And it was so powerful. It was people from all over the world. And it was just a phenomenal um, event, and it ended today at 2.30. It was a two-day um, event. Is that with Sika? Um, it's with people that's affiliated. Okay, okay. Yeah, mm -hmm. so, but it's totally, okay. you know, but with them. So mm -hmm. shout out to them, um, that family. Um, and um, um, enjoyed the first Friday with Council Member Ben Kalos, okay. um, which he does on the first Friday of every month. And okay. it's very nice that he, you know, we used to come together before this pandemic and we get to sit down with our council member and we have conversations and, you know, we get to talk, air out, share, he shares some news with us and everything. So, you know, that that's how I'm starting my month off is starting off good and right. just looking forward to what's ahead and the work that we got to do. Awesome, right, awesome, right, awesome, right, awesome. Right. And uh, hey, Sandrea. 
Our president has COVID. Mm. <laughs> Isn't that something? Stan, what's happening with you, darling? Well, before I get into my week, uh, I remember Malcolm X said when uh, Kennedy was killed, he said the chickens coming home to roost, mm. and that created a, a whole big stir back then. You know, and um, I do wish the president well and hope he recovers. But it is quite amazing yes. and quite ironic, you know, that um, he would catch the virus, you know, basically because he's not following the rules that the government says we all should follow. That's right. You know, so when you don't follow the rules, nobody is above the rules. Nobody's above the law. Nobody's above science. Well, it's you know, not so, even about rules, right? It's right. about putting on a mask. Right. I mean, it's yeah. very simple. Yeah, I mean, real right. simple stuff. And right uh -huh. now we're in Astoria which is now spiking, you know, here in New York, you know, so. I'm the, back masked up. I'm not playing. Right. So, so I'm going to put my mask on mm. and, 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 uh, and I've kept, I've kept it on. Mm. We can't relax because it's really, it's really growing. It's well, crazy. even in this setting, I'm keeping mine on. And I you know what? People are going to find out that this is real. I've lost several family mm -hmm. members sure. to this disease and people are really going to find out that it's real now. Sure. And listen, I want to segue into a thought process because you can make change if you get out and, did you see the mask? Did you see the mask? Matter get out and vote. Put vote 2020. <laughs> vote. <laughs> vote. That's right. That's how you make the change. You got a big vote coming up. Yes. And that leads us into. Before he goes in there, I want to say one thing. Trump, yes. he was there with me. He could speak to it. So we had a bunch of food delivered over at Queensbridge. Shout out to Sugar Ray uh, for continuing to, to build that effort. And inside the box of food was a letter from Trump. Oh. You know, which was um, incredible, you know, so he's had nothing to do with the delivery of food to the folks in Queensbridge at this time. So for him to put a letter in the box, or like in a sense taking credit for the work that the locals in the community have done was amazing. So we had to debate whether to take his letter out the box and then give it to the residents. But what we did is explain to them, the food is for you, but we're not supportive of Trump, you know, and so... It was just ironic that, that, that the boxes would be filled with his, his name, his signature, and, he, and, and it was told to us that it would not be delivered if his letter wasn't in the box. Wow. So it's yeah. from... I mean, well, I guess it's, I guess the USDA federal, has some some federal, something to do with it, right? Yeah. You know, but... Um, just yeah. like the stimulus checks, right? Right. right. It's like, yeah. you know, it's, it's <laughs> like the, the reach of... Um, of him and what he's trying to do, and I guess trying to siphon off votes or whatever, you know, is 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 really outrageous. So of I want to course. say that. And then last but not least, we have the uh, rent strike uh, meeting or rally on the 29th of, of this month in front of 250 Broadway. So folks who want to join or support those who are going on rent strike, and I want to stress we're not pushing nobody to do a rent strike. If you are in that mindset, we want to make sure we provide legal protection for you you know, so that you're not out there by yourself. You know, so for those who are interested, 250 Broadway, four o'clock, uh, come out and support. We're gonna be talking about it a lot leading up to uh, leading up to it, but do not let the folks who are brave enough to take that step stand out there by themselves. Whether you whether you're gonna strike or not, support them. Okay. All right. So, Stan, tell us about your guest. All right. Uh, this young man. Um, Definitely impressed me uh, over the last few months. I got to work with him. Uh, first thing I was shocked it, it was his age. You know, when I asked him uh, how old you are, he told me he's 21 or something like that, I believe, which totally blew my mind. Then he told me he's running for city council, which again blew my mind, you know. So I, I'm just impressed, you know, that someone so young could be involved. And more than running for office, he's out there every day. When we're handing out food, he's there. 
in Ravenswood. He's there in Queensbridge. Um, he's he's out there, and um, thankfully for him, you know, I'm getting old now, so all these boxes I can't I can't <laughs> lift them. So this young man was lifting the boxes and, and carrying stuff and doing all kinds of things um, um, out there. So I really respect his, his work ethic and what he brings to the community. And um, his name is Lorenzo Brayer, and 21 yeah. years old, running for city council. Let's hear from him. Thank you guys for the invite. Um, I really. I really love being here with y'all. I appreciate Stan, um, all the work that the community's done, uh, and the support that's helped me get here to this point. Um, so yes, I am 21. I'm from Ravenswood, uh, and so I, I think you know, just harping on 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 Stan's you know reaction to me running for council, uh, it does surprise a lot of people that somebody so young um, could be involved at this level, have this much knowledge about you know what what we as a city can do as you know in any level of representation, whether that's assembly, state senate, um, Congress, um, but it shouldn't be a surprise. You know where we've lived it. You know people from the neighborhood. I'm from Ravenswood. People from Queens Ridge, Astoria houses, Woodside houses. We've lived through these problems, and um, and you know as soon as as soon as you go through those experiences, you're either provided the opportunity to learn about what puts you know, your neighborhood, your neighbors, your mm. family in those circumstances, and then how to, how to go about making that change that you want to see in your community. Or uh, sometimes you get caught in the cycle of oppression uh, that, that really just ravages our communities. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm grateful that, that I receive those opportunities and that knowledge. Um, you know, I went, I went to high school up the block from Queensbridge at Academy of American Studies. I was involved in participatory budgeting okay. uh, to get some, some laptops in the school. Um, Went to LaGuardia Community College to receive uh, an associate's degree in, in political science. Um, mm. And at the same time, I was the director of community affairs for um, a council member in North Brooklyn, District 37. Okay. Um, and, you know, you know, after uh, that council member vacated his seat, um, I, got, I got a good idea of, like, how it was to really just have me and one other person. We both did the same jobs, constituent services and, and community affairs. Um, all the way up to the point where it was just us two in the office. And so I really got a good idea of um, what it takes and, and what resources are available to the council that we couldn't necessarily um, leverage because we didn't have the power of a council member, but we were mm. in the seat and we saw these problems falling in front of our eyes during a pandemic, during a census year. Um, and that gave me a good idea of, of some of the problems that are happening you know, in the district where I grew up. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, making that change after after the speaker, I mean, the speaker's office or whoever laid us off, um, okay. I decided, let me go back home and make these changes in our community as we start. And so, you know, working with Sugar Ray, working with Stan, working for the Just working with the Justice for All Coalition um, is a lot of mm. is a lot of beautiful things that we're making happen in the community. You mentioned participatory budgeting. I'm aware of it. Can you explain to our viewers what that is? Because I'm familiar with it, mm -hmm. with my council member, but a lot of people are not. And as constituents, they should be. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so participatory budgeting is a process in which um, there's one or two million dollars that are given um, up to a vote within the community to, to, to provide constituents the opportunity to vote on what uh, a certain capital project that they want to see happen. Uh, and I think the rule on cap on these participatory budgeting, um, you know, projects is if you, if you can kick it, um, participatory budgeting can fund it. So, um, you know, I think it's I think it's a great opportunity, and I think in theory it's a great opportunity to give the community like a direct voice mm -hmm. in what they want to see funded and how mm -hmm. that money gets used in their neighborhoods. But um, I do particularly have a problem 
with you know i think the reputation that it's given i think it's given high praise but um we do have a problem where there's sometimes you know the people who have traditionally always had the ability to be engaged in their community um you know they have that structure they have infrastructure they've been part of the community board they know what's going on in the community uh but you know there's there's a great amount of people that aren't involved in that process and so as we do provide more opportunities for our community to, to have input on how their money is used, I think that we should also be at the same time striving to engage more people mm. at every turn, yeah. uh, just to make sure that that's an equitable, pro equitable process. And then we'd find out that there's many more things that we want to see in our community, not just $1 million or $2 million, billions of dollars mm. that we deserve and we need. So now you ask, um, since you've always issued money, I got to ask anyone that sits in that seat, um, are you looking to take any, in, in, any money from any real estate developers or anyone like that or is your campaign strictly grassroots with, from the community? Oh no, yeah, I'm, I'm not accepting any money from real estate, special interests, lobbyists. Um, I, I, I do, I mean, I, my fundraising numbers up to this point, I've raised uh, more, you know, more money in this fundraising deadline than any other candidate. Mm. Um, That's amazing. Over 50% right. from within the district. That's okay. pretty amazing. Okay. Um, and the most individual contributors with the lowest contribution size average. Mm. Um, so, wow. you know, it really, it really does show um, how, how long people have been waiting for this. And, you know, as, as I've been growing up, I've always been involved in politics. I, I always thought that electoral politics was the answer. Mm. Um, and through electoral politics, you find out how to create greater community politics and greater community engagement. Um, it's just the way the system's set up right now. A lot of a lot of power has been given to you know elected officials. So I said, why not take advantage of that and give it back to the community? Um, yeah, go ahead. So, so um, I'm hearing what you're saying regarding uh, your fundraising and how good it's been. You evidently been present in these communities, correct? Because I know a lot of people run for office and they just they show up and pander for votes. But you have to be present first for us to want to invest in you. You know, that's very important, Absolutely. especially for NYCHA residents, right? That people feel that we don't vote. I'm a NYCHA resident, that we don't vote, but we do vote. Mm -hmm. But I don't want to see anybody coming around just to pander for a vote. I want them to be with me giving out some food or being present in my community. And I'm, by, the, by what you're saying, that they're investing in you, rather it's there or, or further, people can see your work. And, and all of all y'all out here that ain't doing nothing, y'all better look at Lorenzo. But yeah, being I, present, doesn't that make a difference? Absolutely. I think that even on top of being present, because I think that at some point, especially with the momentum that's coming now with the left, uh, people are realizing that they can't just, you know, uh, come last minute, raise millions of <laughs> dollars and get elected. Right. Uh, you really need to do a lot of work. But on top of that, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a kid from Ravenswood and I've grown up around people and around and you know i've experienced some things that i don't uh, that i don't think the other candidates have in my race and there's a whole bunch of them there's about 15 candidates mm -hmm. um and when you get in a crowded race like that i mean you wow. try to look for you know who has lived through what the most marginalized people in the community have lived through uh, and you know from the time when i was a five-year-old ducking bullets under a slide in front of my building mm. you know um i think it's it gives me the insight and the ability and the knowledge um, and the capability to represent on top of on top of everything else that that it takes to be an elected official and a and a politician. Um, and so, you know, I 
I urge my I urge my opponents, I urge everybody in the community to try to look for those people who have lived through that, hmm. um, and especially when there's NYCHA in your district. Exactly. You know that that's a that's a really particular environment that mm -hmm. you're raised in, that you live that you live in. Um, over policing, mm -hmm. lack of repairs to buildings, uh, lack of open space. You know, polluted air. There's all types of factors that affect people in NYCHA that make. And, and you know, NYCHA is 90% black and brown people. Right. So it's, it's, it's trying to take it, it's trying to acknowledge the problems that we've been facing in those, in those communities and realize, you know, who needs to represent those areas. You, mm -hmm. it, it takes more than just being present. You have to really, mm -hmm. you know, look at, look at yourself, look at your neighbors, look at everybody around you and figure out what is the best for, the, for, for this community. What are you, what's your plans for NYCHA? What um, are you going to bring to the table as a, if you get elected? As a city council member, yeah, I think um, I think a lot of the work that the Justice for All Coalition is doing is is aligned with with what I'm representing, um, which is first and foremost finding a way to to bring repairs to NYCHA. You know, we have a where NYCHA, NYCHA buildings are in disrepair, mm -hmm. dilapidated, um, and you know, we've been over the years begging the Fed to give more money to NYCHA, but yeah, we're done asking. You know, now we're going to take advantage of all the resources that we have and. And as a city council member, mm. you know, the Justice for All Coalition, as well as myself, we've been working with, um, you know, the speaker's office and other, you know, city council representatives um, trying to find out how to make sure that those, those repairs come during this winter. I mean, mm. like, I'm done yeah. with the marathon talk. We, right. we can't keep acting like living, like, like uh, you know, bottom line living conditions are a marathon that we have to get. Yeah. Um, so, you know, a, a couple of these funds are... Jails, you know, mm -hmm. the jail, jail in Manhattan already got struck down by the courts. Right. Um, and, you know, another one, the BQX, it's a, a slow moving trolley to mm -hmm. connect Brooklyn and Queens. I mean, Hallett's Cove on the corner of Astoria, right next to Astoria houses, the same price that it takes to renovate that area with playgrounds and security and, and community spaces is exactly how much money it took to repair Astoria houses boilers. So we're looking now, now it's, it's beyond that. It's saying. You're not going to get any money from the Fed. What are you doing as a city council member to make sure that we have livable conditions in our apartments? Mm -hmm. um, and now we have to really be bold on that stance and uh, realize that there's a lot of work on the ground that you need. That, you know, Justice for All, myself, Stan, and a whole bunch of community members are doing to make sure that people realize what's happening mm -hmm. and realize what they need to do. Yeah. So, you know, what message would you give uh, to young people? I know you was... Um, with Kenny Carter and Fathers in the Hood. We had a big march um, two weeks ago um, to try to curb the gun violence. And I understand that there's been more shootings in Queensbridge since we marched, you know, um, and I think maybe one in Ravenswood as well. So what message do you have for the youth, you know, who are watching your campaign? You're 21 years old, you're involved, but yet we have kids out here um, shooting each other. So what message do you have for the youth? Um, that is a very difficult question. Uh, I think that if I, ha if, if I could speak to them, I'm, I'm not sure if they're listening to this podcast or if they'll, they'll realize that I'm running for council or anything like that. But um, if I can't speak to them, I'd say, you know, how much, how much love do you think that the community is receiving? You know, how, how much funding, how much resources have you, your brothers, your friends that you've grown up with, how have they fallen through the cracks? How have elected officials failed you? Um, <laughs> and more, more than anything, what can you do about that at this point? And so... You know, if, if, if you're taking me as any example, you know, I'm, I'm an example of what you can do at this point. You, you have the opportunity, you know, me and Sugar Ray and all the people in Queensbridge, we don't have a lot. 
Uh, but we take all of our energy and we try to put it into what the community needs, whether that be diapers, food, clothing. Um, so, you know, if there's anything, look to your friends, look to the people right next to you, find out what they need. Uh, and probably many other people in your neighborhood and in your building are facing the same troubles. So if you can solve their needs, you can solve a whole bunch more. And we're willing to we're willing to work with you. We want to work with you. That's all we want. So come. I mean, we're, we're waiting on the hill on Fridays, 11 a.m. Mm. And uh, you, had, you had an event this past, like Saturday, I believe it was, right? Yes. You had an event in Queensbridge. Uh, we tell everybody what that event was about. Yeah, so uh, this past Sunday, I had a public safety town hall, which was a, a, a community conversation, rather, about peace, police, and black liberation. Um, and so I wanted to engage some members of the community about what the police has meant to them, uh, what the police has done or hasn't done in their communities, um, and how do we think that we can get to true peace and black liberation within our communities and especially within NYCHA, just because it's such a concentrated area of black and brown people. Um, and so, you know, there we found out that, I mean, I've already, you know, going, flyering buildings and, and, and going to events, every person that I've ever asked about the NYPD, are they racist, never fails. They are racist. Without a doubt, they've, they've been racist as long as anybody's ever known. Um, and somehow, you know, you still find older people usually that want to defend the NYPD um, because that's the only options we've been given as a community. Either brutal over-policing or no police and senseless violence as a result. Um, but with, with over-policing, not only brutality comes a, su a suppression of, of the real problems in our communities, you know, the lack of employment, the lack of education, uh, the problems with our housing, the problems with our health. Um, and so, you know, through that town hall, I'm also trying to make sure people understand the possibilities that we have for our communities. You know, the creation of new agencies or the incorporation of new organizations that can do that work, like 696 Build Queensbridge. I mean, they're doing great work, you know, engaging these young people who, you know, maybe still hustling, maybe still, you know, on, on the corners, just waiting all night. Um, and so, you know, that work is just as essential as anything that we do during the daytime. And so that's why, you know, I was out last night giving food out with Sugar Ray up until about 1 a.m., you know, just giving food to the homeless, also giving food to people that were just in the neighborhood. And even last night, Sugar Ray holding um, a poetry, a poetry event uh, where we, you know, we provided food and we provided a space for people to, you know, speak on, uh, you know, expose their talents. I don't, I don't think there's enough of opportunities of that. And if we, and if we are able to connect how much money the NYPD has in our neighborhoods, being probably the most well-funded agency in NYCHA, and we <clears> take that money and take those resources to something more productive that'll actually create true peace and black liberation in our communities, I think. That's the conversation that we need to continue to have. I want to remind you that you're watching One Night Show with Sandrea Coleman, Stan Morse, Rock Logic, who isn't with us today but sends his hello. And we're talking to Lorenzo Brea, NYC City Council candidate, District 26. If you can't sit with us for the whole broadcast, we want to let you know that you do have the option to watch a rebroadcast on Spotify, Facebook, One NYCHA at Facebook, One NYCHA at um YouTube on their YouTube channel as well. You can click like and subscribe. We're also on Anchor, Breaker, Radio Public, Google Podcast, and you're watching us live on Facebook right now. Once again, we are with Lorenzo Brea. <laughs> you, I want to 
um, jump in regarding mm -hmm. um, when you're speaking about the police department. I served 24 years. I used to supervise payroll. I'm medically retired. Um, as an organizer with UES for BLM, Black Lives Matter, we chant and we, you know, we want to defund the police. You know, not just NYPD, but defund police throughout these United States. Also, one of my big things is to abolish qualified immunity. What is your take on those two? Um, I, I think that, yes, we should absolutely abolish qualified immunity and defunding the police is absolutely necessary. Uh, but I also want to acknowledge that it's a conversation that isn't as easy as saying defund the police. Mm -hmm. um, it is an actual conversation that we need to ha sit down and really, you know, go within our mindsets and our mentalities about what the police has done and how long they've existed in our communities. Um, you know, if the police is all we've ever known for 60, 70, 80 years, I don't expect people to just be like, okay, defund the police. Mm -hmm. uh, we really have to find out and create these solutions as we go as to what would be, you know, the reallocation of those resources, right. where would they go? Right. Um, and so, you know, I particularly want to, I'm putting it on myself to create those conversations, but they should have been have. They, mm -hmm. should have, they should have been happening. So now we're just taking advantage of the opportunity and the momentum that comes with that movement. Uh, and I'm, yeah, go ahead. And um, you might wanna show, tell folks what qualified immunity is and what that represents. If Sanjay, you might wanna share, share with folks what, that, what yeah. that's about. It's, um, you can actually sue, not just a police officer, but elected official like a governor or something, you can actually sue them civilly. So there's a protection that they have and that's something we want to abolish because if you have them not under that protection, we will have better governance sure. all the way around. Sure. You know, even with the NYPD. So, yeah. And I think it should be done. I mean, there's, there's so, so little accountability. You know, and I, yeah. I go back to what NYCHA residents deal with. You can't get an answer from, no, from nobody. And that flows all through our government. You know, you can't really get these elected officials to come out and say their positions are much of anything. Because right. most of them are really more concerned about running for office and staying in office and campaigning right. than really representing the community and taking tough choices and making tough decisions. Yeah. You know, they may cause their votes, but in the end yeah. of the day, we suffer. Yeah, like y'all you you, are doing the rent strike. Yes. The rent strike came to us, um, or we had options, rent strike, um, Sue, NYCHA, HP Action. We collectively voted for HP Action lawsuit, housing parts and common areas. You know, but why do we have to do that for our repairs? Right. This is how bad our government is, that we have to go to court. We've been in court since December 13th of 2019. Mm -hmm. Even during this pandemic, we have virtual hearings. But why do we have to sue? And during this suit, we discovered so much problems with the elevators, things with our boilers, you know, all these infractions, infestation, rat holes outside. The city has rats, right? But it's really bad. So, yeah. I mean, all of this stuff we found out due to this lawsuit. Now, if we didn't, and our elevators are about three to four years old, so they're not all old, you know, what, what's up with the warranty? There's so much we're trying to find out through our attorneys, but this is crazy. Like, you have to actually go to court with your landlord, NYCHA, right? It's crazy. Yep. Yeah, it's insane. And uh, we're, we're looking to do the lawsuit as well. You know, I say that um, we're trying to do as much stuff on the wall as possible. So there's a, the strike, then there's a lawsuit. Uh, we want to educate folks on some of the things that uh, we learned last week. 
uh, with our phenomenal guests uh, who, spoke, who spoke about mm. the HUD regulations and things of that nature. So we want to put that out there yeah. because that's where real power comes from. And I learned a lot. I had to go back and listen to that show again. Claudia. From Claudia C.C. C. C. Perez, Perez. And learn again. Give, 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 give her, yes. I mean, it was, it was so informative. Yeah, so we're going to be doing some of those workshops um, in Queensbridge and in Ravenswood because so many of the um, resident council presidents, as she said, um, are unaware of really what's going on. I mean, they're clueless, you know, about the HUD regulations and the true power. And so, therefore, they're not giving that information out to the residents. And some of them are kind of reluctant. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I know the resident association or resident council president mm-hmm. at um, Ravenswood is thinking about it. But you could tell and you're out there uh, with, with her. And it's hard. You know, it's really difficult to have them really sit down and get into these conversations. Yeah. And I guess they feel that, you know, we're pointing the finger at them, you know, in, in some sense. You know, but if you're not giving the residents the information, then, then you know, like, what are you doing in, in that position? Because yeah. they need to know before their properties are privatized exactly. you know, by one person who's, who represents a whole development. You know, and if that individual is not well-informed, well, then what does that say? It's easy to take advantage of yeah. them, right? Because yeah, they don't know any better. Yeah, yeah I, think that, um, I think that NYCHA, as well as the entire city, recognizes how, um, how the tenant associations or the resident, resident council, council. Yeah, we so learned last week. Resident them out of council name. Yes. associations. Um, don't really serve as the as the structure for community engagement or or you know resident input. So I think that beyond repairs, repairs being first and foremost, because nobody should have to live like this. Um, and as much as the city council has uh, a say in, in the possibilities and the funding that we could provide to NYCHA, I think that creating a structure for true community engagement within every single building and every single apartment, creating that opportunity is absolutely necessary. So beyond you know the repairs and what the city council can do, I think resident um, resident management corporations can provide that as well. And so that's something that Justice for All is working on, um, and is you know a big aspect of of what I think can solve the issues within NYCHA. Mm-hmm. And so resident, I'm, I'm not sure if your viewers or you guys know about resident um, resident management corporations, but they can provide anything from you know security to uh, uh, building maintenance. Um, as well as engagement of, of, the, of the community as, as do tenant associations do. Um, so I think that we can go above and beyond on our expectations of what, what those corporations or what our management can do. And I think that people within NYCHA can take that power for themselves. Yeah, it's about stakeholder right, power, right, right? right? Instead of city to city doing it, right? Right, it's exactly. Us, who knows better? For us than us. That's right. That's right. Nitro residents are going through the pain, the suffering, you know. And so, yeah, I think they would definitely do a better job of, of managing course. because it's they, it's, it's, their, it's it's where they live, and, and them jobs will flow to our to our to our folks into our community. We're talking about billions of dollars, you know. And I think the Nitro residents can do it, but we got to be involved. You can't have a resident manager corporation and not be involved mm-hmm. in running that corporate that corporation. You know, you can't take it like the, the resident association meetings where folks don't go, it will not work. It will not work. It needs full resident engagement in order for that to work. Just so for those who are listening, you know, we, yeah. gotta, we gotta step it up. We need more leadership. Just imagine the median income if people had better jobs. I mean, there's a lot of municipality workers that come out at night, so don't get it twisted. Yes. You know, right. from correction officers, NYPD, there's officers and so forth. You know, people are working in these elected officials' office, mm-hmm. you know, with these decent ranks, you know, decent titles. But imagine if the median um, rent 
is, would, would not be $400. It Absolutely. would be much higher, 30% of their income. It would change the portfolio, right? Because yep. there, there's more money coming in mm -hmm. to do the repairs and so forth. Because, you, you know, it, the rent generates income as well, right? Absolutely. Not just the funding, but it's also the rent. So if they give the people these opportunities, you know, it's, or I, I hear a lot of OSHA training, you know, that's in different places, but even some of our people don't even know about that. Right, right, so. right. So tell me, Lorenzo, what are your thoughts on, I know in Long Island City, uh, we are being flooded, you know, by private developers who are coming in uh, to, to do whatever they want to do, which is make more money, you know, while we suffer. So what are your thoughts on um, some of the private development going on in Long Island City? And, and what, yeah, what do you think about it? Uh, yeah, no, I mean, I think that, you know, we shouldn't be subsidizing or, or creating any tax uh, incentives for developers, nonprofit or for-profit. Um, they're going to make money off of it either way. I think that we need to create true public ownership of these lands. Um, and, you know, that's even if we if even if we don't have the motive, if we do already have public ownership, we should definitely not be selling any of it. Uh, these are assets, whether that be air rights or public. Exactly. You know, land. Mm -hmm. So we need to we need to take hold and keep these assets within our power. You know, th those are the things that le that create power for us as a city and as a people. Mm -hmm. uh, and keeping those within our you know within our ownership, I think, is it, it absolutely necessary. Well, I tell you, I, I, every time I hear this young man speak, I'm impressed. Mm -hmm. I know at the age of 21, mm -hmm. and I was pretty politically um, involved and motivated, but I was not nearly as knowledgeable. I had book knowledge, but I, I did not have the knowledge that this young man has. You know, on how city works, how government works. So it's very impressive. Thank I, I got to say, I'm very. I mean, impressed. even beyond that, I was um, I was also at a at a at a march against ICE yesterday with a whole bunch of community organizers, part of a no name group, um, and so they are even interested on on finding out what's going to happen uh, with this eviction moratorium. That's you know pretty much not going to stop anybody from getting evicted. There's so many exceptions to this eviction moratorium that a lot of people who are struggling to pay the rent may very well get evicted during this moratorium. Um, so speak on that, because I, I know yeah. I heard that we was going to, I think it's they delayed it to January, January right? Yeah. So yeah. you're saying that there's people that might be evicted anyway during this so-called moratorium? Yeah, exactly. So there's a lot of exceptions to the rules and saying that some excuses or some uh, reasons as to why they couldn't pay rent won't stand in, in, in court. Um, hmm. And so, you know, if, if, they're, if it's just like a timeline of employment, if, if you know, they, they're saying like, oh, you had enough time to make up money to pay the rent, you know, that may be considered an exception. And there's a whole bunch of more stuff that, you know, has to do with the law in which not enough people are protected. Um, and so they create this eviction moratorium, but it doesn't actually protect enough, you know, tenants or residents all across the city. Um, and so, you know, the organizers in this, in this, um, in this march against ICE are, are, are scared. They're saying like, what, what can we do in the case that a whole bunch of people are homeless? Um, and I think that takes into question. Can I, can we get a little more into the, the ICE situation? Sure. Go, go more in depth into oh, that. Oh, okay, yeah. So the March, the March Against ICE was due to the information that was a release about um, medical professionals or just medics or, I don't know, some kind of doctors that were functioning in ICE detention centers <laughs> that were um, sterilizing women as well as performing mass hysterectomies. Wow. Um, so... You know, when that information came about, we realized that this is really a war against people of color in the United States, um, and especially against illegal immigrants, which make up a, a great portion of our city, uh, pay a pay bunch of 
pay bunches of taxes. Um, and are really part of our community. You know, these are our neighbors. Um, and so when, you know, something like that happens at a national level, we want to make sure that in our communities, especially, you know, the, this march through Jackson Heights, that we represent uh, and we really, we really show how, how much we stand against it and that we think that ICE shouldn't exist. Um, so these things were happening when people were, in det- were detained by ICE? These things were happening? Yes. Wow. I didn't, wow. Yeah, and they wouldn't even notify the women that they were performing hysterectomies. So, um, okay. you know, it's, it was, it's really scary information wow. that there's was being shared. That so, really, yeah. That's a whole show right there. Yeah. But I wanted to step back a little more. When you were talking about the excuses, what possibly could not be a good excuse for not paying your rent if nobody's working? Well, I think there's a whole bunch of legal loopholes that are probably, you know, I'm, I, I don't have a JD, but there's a whole bunch of lawyers, part of, especially DSA, um, is exposing that there's so many exceptions as to the rules that they're creating in, in terms of the moratorium um, and how closely that's tied, whether, you know, there was already a problem with evictions. So if there's more exceptions to this rule, even though there's a moratorium, or even if it's at the same point that it was before the pandemic, I think that that's something that needs to be determined as to how far and how many people are protected by this new moratorium. Uh, because we don't take it into question. You know, mm-hmm. we say if there's an eviction moratorium, nobody gets evicted. But when you go to court, that becomes a different story in which lawyers can make a case as to why this eviction is still necessary. And um, one, of, one of the problems with that is, too, they need to just cancel rent, cancel, cancel rent, the rent, cancel, cancel rent it. and mortgages for people that yes. cannot pay. Right. Because all you're doing is pushing it back and the rent is still mounting up Getting so what's going to happen right, right right if if nothing if if no one comes through or they don't cancel rent you're still going to see the same thing you're going to be right. in court fighting or unless they're going to break give you some type of breakdown but who knows but i'm thankful that we live in a city or a state you know a democratic state because i've seen evictions done in other states mm-hmm. you know which is just sad it, it it literally will make you cry you so see them where are people going that becomes a big living question living in their cars or if you don't have family i mean that was the question that we were discussing after the after the march because the city does have power of eminent domain mm-hmm. and with all these vacancies throughout the city you know people they left manhattan and they don't care about new york city anymore and now we have all this money that the city put into private developers to you know, have these hotels, have these huge buildings with these outrageous rents, but we didn't invest in our communities. And so if we have this power of eminent domain, we're able to take advantage of these vacant properties, vacant lands, uh, and then build housing on them, or take advantage of the housing that's already built that is just vacant and empty waiting there. Mm-hmm. And we can say, no, we wanna provide housing for everybody. And especially during COVID. I mean, uh, me and Sugar Ray, we went out feeding all the homeless people because there's a whole bunch of shelters around Queensbridge. Mm-hmm. And so we, we, we interviewed a, a man named Lewis. And so he had schizophrenia um, and he was in, he's been in a shelter for a while. And so when he got transferred to a hotel room, he says like the voices started going away um, and life started becoming a little bit more normal. So during COVID, uh, you know, before, I mean, after COVID, you know, homeless shelters were a hotbed for COVID. And then it was getting all this bad rap. DHS acted, put in the putting them in, in hotels such as the Lucerne, famous in the Upper West Side mm-hmm. that they were fighting against. But it's really providing a little bit more normalcy for the homeless uh, and more opportunities for them to be reintegrated into you know, society because they're just, they're just deemed evil you know, perpetrators in their neighborhoods. And so um, you know, that's, that's an example of what we can do for a lot of people across the city who may be evicted, especially in the cold. I mean, like the, the, it's, no pl- it's no way for them to live during a pandemic where they may be jobless 
maybe dealing with mental health issues. Exactly. Um, I mean, it, it's just that we exactly. should we should as a city be providing more services yeah, and more it's opportunities. Really bad. I was in a neighborhood, two neighborhoods down from here, East Elmhurst, which was one of my own neighborhoods when I was growing up, and there are people standing on lines, and the lines are going around the blocks, like for two, three, four, five blocks for these churches to get food. And these yeah. are affluent, they were affluent neighborhoods. I mean, it's shocking what's happening just even before COVID, it was mm. shocking. Yeah. Now how much more so is it going to be, especially with the holidays coming up oh and my God. the cold coming up and then you still have COVID and now we have the flu and yeah, yeah. it's really Hot. overwhelming Hot. what's Hot happening spots. right here. I think yeah. people often suffer in silence. So mm. I think these issues have existed for a very long time, but it's just that COVID, you know, they just opened our eyes it's to them. Now they're right in front of our face yeah. and we can't, we can't get away from you know how many homeless people there are. Now they're in sh now they're in home now they're in hotels all across the city and neighborhoods that have never even acknowledged the problem of homelessness. Now they have to deal with it every day that they come outside of their door. Right. They don't um, want so I mean these issues yeah. are yeah. And I just want to stress um, the city pays like three thousand or more to put a family in a hotel, which is a, a waste of money. And then in the hotels and in some of the homeless shelters. Um, are horrible. I was in a homeless shelter with my family at one point, and they was paying $3,000 for us to live in a room that had rats and all kind of stuff. You know, so that's a total waste of money. You know, why don't you take that money and really build some affordable housing mm. instead of paying off a hotel owner who's profiting? Of course. He's making more money through homelessness yeah, than exactly. he is to rent out his hotel. So and for them. My mortgage is 2700 Right, it's insane. Come on. They're paying more to, to house a homeless people than people actually paying the mortgage. Uh -huh. You know, so it's, it's, it's a system that's broken. Right. It's out of control. And I know in Queensbridge and, and, and where, where, we, where we work, it's, it's an outrage all around the city. You know, they, they kick these folks out of, the, out of the shelter in the daytime and say, you, you got to leave. Right. So now you're walking around in the daytime with nothing to do, no services, no programs. You just out. You know, and of course you're going to cause a havoc in the community. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I heard one older guy got into a fight in Queensbridge because they're out like two, three, four in the morning. Yeah. You know, so they're not even keeping a curfew. Mm -hmm. And we don't want to make this a, us against homelessness. Mm -hmm. Homelessness is something that we advocate for, too. So it's not one against the other. Mm -hmm. You need to provide real services for homeless folks and build some real affordable housing yeah. that's affordable like for somebody making 20000 not affordable to somebody making right. 65000 and which nobody in the community even makes that. That's not the medium income. And, so it's a broken system. Yeah, and sadly, you know, they end up sometimes in public housing buildings in the exit. Yes. You know, and for in a building that has heat, of course, right? right? right. So it's warm. Right. Okay, or they're on the subways. Yep. But then, you know, the police and you know there's homeless outreach of course they shouldn't be criminalized criminalized right, right. that's the bottom line and let me just speak to the mayor and the governor of speak, new york speak yes, girl. Speak there is i coined something in the beginning of this pandemic called incubator facilities they are nursing homes they are shelters and they are the prisons and jails and you all need to take care of those most vulnerable people because they are dying in there. Absolutely. There was a nursing home that I served at. I can't even say the amount of people that died, but it was well over a hundred. Okay, and it's ridiculous. And people in, in, the, in the prisons, and they're hiding from the families what's going on in the prisons. Sure. You know, and then with the shelters, <clears throat> 
if they're there, you know, what happens with them? So step up and do your job. Like right. this is your, you are responsible for the people. That's right. So That's Mr. Right. Mayor, we say. What the fuck are you doing? Whoa, oh, okay. <laughs> I said that. that, that so, I mean, yes, right. I said it. All right. And, uh, but, it, you know, ain't even rock. <laughs> it ain't even rock today. Like, really? Right. Really? I'm sorry. Right. She bought the spirit of rock here. When he puts me in the seat, you, oh, know, you I turn it control, okay. you know. But, but it, it's a real, it's, just a, it's a shame. You know, and, and, it, and I'm, I'm afraid, to be perfectly honest, you know, as to what it's going to look like in a few months. I mean, I'm scared. Yeah. You know, and I'm sure everybody in New York is scared. And everybody in the country is scared. You know, we're going in the wrong direction. Yeah. You know, here in New York, where we had it under control, and all of a sudden I'm here, we may have to shut down, and, you know, we're going backwards. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's serious. When it's the serious. governor reached, when the governor started talking about nursing homes, it was because of an email that I sent to him. The I next day, give he, her, was give her, give her he was talking about the nursing yeah. homes. Because yeah. I said... Yeah. Be, yeah. I said, if you don't address this, but it wasn't much done, but still he started addressing it right after. I have my receipts because I am the receipt queen. Okay? That's right. That's but, right. You know, enough is enough. You know, people are suffering and, and they need to they need to deal with this. Yes. Yes. They need to deal I, with I this. Think so that, um, I think that, uh, uh, you know, we're dealing with all these issues, right? That COVID is, is absolutely a- exacerbated. Um, but I think that the one aspect of life in New York City that nobody can escape, especially people in NYCHA, just because, you know, we're, we're super over-policed, is the NYPD and how much money they're given. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, when we try to combat these issues around, you know, health, homelessness, home in di- homes in disrepair, um, or public safety, you know, the NYPD is given so much money, but it just serves as a last resort. You know, people in their communities don't think that it provides, you know, a means for engagement. And, you know, if we take advantage of those resources that are given to, you know, a super well-funded agency that somehow does nothing and nothing productive mm. in our communities, uh, I think if we, if we take advantage of those resources and really use it um, to really find a way to create structure for community engagement, you know, sustainable community engagement, I think that that's when we'll find that so many people can be involved in these answers. They have the input to the input to create answers to homelessness, health crises, um, you know, employment opportunities. Like all of these things can be piled up on top of each other if we're given a structure for community engagement. Which you know, right now, nothing touches every single New Yorker like the way NYPD does, and especially nothing touches Black and Brown people in the city the way NYPD does. And That's true. You know, a part of that, especially in the 114 precinct, mm. um, Pull you know, out. 114 <laughs> precinct is covers Astoria, Woodside, Queensbridge, and Ravenswood houses. They have had the most stop and frisks than any other precinct in Queens. Ninety mm. percent of those <clears throat> stops involving people of color, but over sixty percent of them, around sixty-five percent of those, are completely innocent. Couldn't even give a summons. So it's like when we look at those statistics like that, you're real. We're realizing that we're putting our black and brown, especially the youth in danger you know yeah. we're, we're we're you know we're antagonizing them with a force that just yeah. wants to threaten their freedom at every turn yeah um and unless we make a change for those give them the opportunity to lead this movement um you know like stan was young at one point i bet he was leading this movement mm-hmm. you know had a lot more energy to pick up those boxes and so you know <laughs> if we give those opportunities and we show them that there's a way out but we can't do that if there's so much money being given to the only agency that wants to threaten their freedom. Yeah. I know in Queensbridge, um, which kills me, I play basketball and it, it kills me. There's, there's a cop, there's a cop oh. car in front of the basketball court like all the time. 
You know, and I, I didn't recall that growing up in my neighborhood mm -hmm. when I'm playing ball and there's a, a cop car just placed just outside, there. just sitting there. It's very unsettling. You're like, mm -hmm. what are you sitting there doing? Like, what are you watching? Like, you looking to, to find a crime? You know, so I know I know the kids are really growing up yeah. in a tough environment, having to deal with that, mm -hmm. and at an early age being afraid of the police. You know, yeah. and I, you know, we had police brutality when uh when I was coming up for sure, but it's it's it just seems different now. Yeah, it just seems different now. Two big problems: drugs and guns. Mm -hmm. Handle it, government. Right. Drugs and guns. And That's we can, right. we can make that that ask to our community if we make it possible. You know, like there's. We, you know, this concentration right here, if we involve, you know, the people who are watching, you know, take advantage of the opportunity, this knowledge and the energy that you may have um, in this pandemic to really, you know, leverage the, the free time that these youth may have. You know, they're out in the streets um, and they're trying to make it happen for their families and for themselves. But if we if we really show them that, you know, there's a possibility that we can have a whole bunch of money and you can have those jobs to really go out and knock on your neighbor's doors and make sure that they understand that there's a way out as well. I think that that's, that'll be very powerful. Yeah, and the community centers, too. A yeah. lot of them are not, are not open. Yeah. So that's a problem. Yeah. You know, yeah. fund them. Open them up for our kids. That's right. You that's know, right. only in the summer in my neighborhood. I'm from Isaac Houses. And shout out to Holmes Isaacs Coalition. But, you know, <laughs> in the summer, except for this summer because of the pandemic, you know, it's open seven days a week, the center, to the evening. And they even give them dinner. And that, that's you know, happening now? And they no, because of the pandemic, okay. right, right. last Before couple of okay. years. Mm -hmm. So, you know, shout out to Greg Morris um, that runs the Isaac Center. But that was great. I mean, my son, when he was home, he would, what you going to do? I'm going down there to eat and see what they're going to have. And they could take right. the games down there, the systems, you know, and they were safe, mm -hmm. right? Sure. And isn't, what, don't we want our youth to be safe? We want them to survive. We want them to live. Sure. So stop disinvesting in black and brown communities. That's, that's, right. that's all it is. Stop disinvesting. And I know in Ravensville, where you come from as well, there's a community center right there um, in the, in the uh, I guess that's a community center, right, right on, on 35th Street. And um, I was shocked when I went in there and saw what they had in there. There was boxing. There's a boxing mm. ring in there. There's a music studio in there. There's all kinds of things that's going completely unutilized. And you have all these folks in Queensbridge and in Ravensville, young folks, with nothing to do and becoming violent, but you got a facility right there that can't get funding to be open, it's, it's absurd. But the police are always there. There's never a day that the police aren't there. So it's just like you can see the values that we have as a city right now where there isn't, I mean, they're literally parked on the walkway, in the courtyards. You cannot avoid them when you live in NYCHA. Mm -hmm. uh, and so considering the way that people live in NYCHA with the police, they're probably much more affected than anybody else in the city, but somehow we're chalking this up to you know, a whole bunch of people who don't understand what it's like to live in these conditions. And I want to also call out PAL, since you're talking about the police. Um, there's a daycare center in Queensbridge, you know, where 170 kids from Queensbridge go, mm -hmm. and PAL rents it out. But now the stove in that daycare is disconnected and doesn't work. You know, so now you have kids who are coming who probably don't have a hot meal, you know, and it's in all those things in, in their home, and they come to the daycare and can't get a hot meal, can't get a hot lunch, because the stove can't be connected, but PAL's paying the rent, and they're not fighting NYCHA. So mm -hmm. they're not going to NYCHA and saying, hey, what's going on, and why are you not repairing this, the place? The place actually is falling apart somewhat. You know, the kids can't even really socially distance, but the PAL is not advocating for those for that center. You know, they're part of the problem. You know, so they got funding for this. Isn't that money being thrown away yeah. or being wasted if you're not 
advocating and fighting night to to get something built for these kids. Yeah. And then I also want to say I understand Jacob Reese is being renovated. That's which, nice. which, which, which is incredible. Jacob Reese is being renovated. That's nice for Jacob Reese. Mm. But if the city could find money mm -hmm. to close down Jacob Reese and do a I don't know how many million dollar innovation when people in the development right there can't get an exterminator right. to come to their house. That's you know, this is this is insane. Then another program popped up um, in Queensbridge. Yeah, yeah, another program. And they got their office fixed. Yeah. Right, um, it's a new program that did the basketball tournament the other day. They got somebody from 105.7, a DJ or whatever, mm -hmm. running the program. And all of a sudden, their office got fixed. So I'm like, we're going down to the manager's office every Friday to fight. How are these people getting repairs and, and getting stuff done? And the residents who live there can't get nothing done. It's, the, it's, it's, the well, devil, that's a good question. The devil's, how, in the de the devil's in the details. Look at who the contractors are. Look who mm. the developer is. And see where, they, where their money, who they donate to. Right. Some of that is backdoor deals. Sure, know? sure. The city's so corrupt. Sure. I mean, it's a shame the PAL, you know, can't do more about that. If they really can't, you know, but you mm. can put a car out there and watch these kids play ball and, and sort of terrorize them but you can't follow through to find out why a daycare that you're spending money every month for is not really operating and servicing the community. But people, you know? if people from the neighborhood were given that position and given that resources instead of the police, mm -hmm. I think you'd see that, that we were able to, that we'd be able to do so much more and we'd have more passion in protecting what we're supposed to be doing, right? You wanna provide athletic you know, opportunities to children? How can you do that with the space being closed down or not being able to, you know, provide daycare? You know, people, if that's their home, they want to care for that. They want to protect that more than anybody else. But we're not seeing that from the agency. We're not seeing that from the PAL. We're not seeing that from these people or these organizations that come into our communities and say they want to do the good work. And then they fall short whenever things get tough. But Lorenzo, why isn't there a shared responsibility with the PAL? Just like what you're saying, with like I as a mother would want to come in and, and help out with the program and do some teaching or maybe even coach a girls basketball team alongside of them. It's the nature of the agency. You know, the nature of the agency, it's, it's, they don't want anybody its priority is not to protect us, it's to protect land. Is to protect laws. Oh, so it's a show, so it's a show laws thing. have never protected black and brown bodies first and foremost. Very true. You know they they have an agenda, and if they they, they people probably asked, oh, we want some community engagement, we'll throw you a PAL center. You know we want some money, we'll throw you a few thousand dollars. No, we're done asking now. We want to take the rats. agency, we want to take all that money, all these fake ass and these fake mm. gives that you've been taking, gotcha. and we want to make sure that that's ours, and we get to make the decision from here on out. Um, and so you know it's it's a tough. It's a tough decision, and it's a tough way to come at it, um, especially from elected officials. You know, a, a whole bunch of people don't deal with the issues that we deal with at NYCHA. This is, without a <coughs> doubt, you know, it's, it's like hands down a decision that we want to make in NYCHA. Then everybody around us is like, oh, you know, we're not sure. You don't deal with these problems. They don't understand what it's like to live there. Yeah. So it's like, yes, these are hard decisions that we've had to live with for years. Where were you at when we were dying? I mean, we're out here killing each other. But where are the answers from the government? The police? They definitely didn't talk to us. We were having a poetry slam right in the basketball court. The police, right as soon as we pulled up, just pulled up, started flashing their lights. Wow. Like, that's not going to intimidate some kids from being involved in that? I mean, like, like, these are obvious things that they have. They don't prioritize the same things we need to prioritize. And so they, we constantly fight for an agency that doesn't want to fight for us. I can't understand the logic in it. And a lot of the times, it's young people that agree 
off the bat. But when you've lived with those being the only options that you've ever received for your entire life, I understand it's difficult, but we're willing to do that work. So I'm starting off and I'm speaking to the camera now, I'm speaking to the viewers. If you see these problems in your neighborhood, fight as hard as you can. We're here, we're all here. Connect Lorenzo Brea26 at Instagram and right. Twitter. Okay. You know, reach out to me, reach out to Sugar Ray, reach out to Stan, reach out to One Nature. We're a net here trying to make something happen for our communities first and foremost. Homes so Lorenzo, say that coalition again. Coalition too. Yes, that's Manhattan. right. Yeah. You know, Occupy Nature, a whole lot of people. There is power in organizing. Yep. And if the people organize, that's when we get stuff done. Right. So Absolutely. shout out to all the organizers, whether you're doing BLM, public housing, both. I do both. Cancel, but right. whatever, yeah, whatever you're doing for the people, shout out and keep it going. Because we are the ones that make the difference. We, we vote you in, we'll vote you out. That's right. And we're gonna hold y'all accountable too. We haven't we haven't guests here that's running for office and we we're gonna you get in, we're gonna be making sure you're doing what you're gonna Absolutely. do. That's you right. know, because it's business, right? It's really business. And first I think and foremost. You have to go beyond the job description. You know, I'm running a lot behind you know, next to a lot of people that are you know, I, I can't I can't figure out, you know, what their story is or, you know, what they're really about. Um, and you can have a good heart, you can have a good resume, um, mm -hmm. you know, you can have a, a good history in the community, but, you know, are you willing to be out there past your bedtime, knocking on doors, like it's a campaign, even if you lose? Exactly. Mm -hmm. Ten years from now, how hard will you be fighting for our community? I'm not leaving. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they could stay as well. It's just that how hard are you fighting to incorporate the people who, who have been disaffected by the system? Goes back to what I was saying. Being beaten by the right. system. Being present, yeah. Oh, 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 what happened? So now, okay. did we do okay. lose the camera shot? Uh -oh. Okay, we back on. Oh, how'd that happen? There we are. Oops. <laughs> keep going, keep going. Keep going. Keep so I just want to say, um, Jay Lorenzo, you definitely in a real tough uh, campaign with um, a lot of great competition, working with a lot of great people. Shout out to Julia Foreman and and um, all the rest uh, who are running in that in that district. I know there's a member from D, um, D, um, DSA that's probably gonna be running um, in that in that district. Um, Brent O'Leary, I believe, is um, another another um, competitor. So you got you got you got some tough competition. But I will say, for a young guy, mm -hmm. you know, um, your future is bright. You know, um, in the political world, you know, at 21, starting out like you are, if you should win this election, that's wonderful. But if you if, if you should not, you know, I still think the future is really bright. Well, I'm not going to say if. I'm going to say mm. best well, of luck, break yeah, it back. Right. And yeah. we're rooting for you. That's right. That's right. <laughs> okay. And once again, you are watching One Night Show with Sandrea Coleman, Stan Morse. Rock is not here. Miss your brother. Miss you, Rock. He's listening. Them leather suspenders. I'm, ES <laughs> I'm ESV Speaks filling in for him this week. And we're here with Lorenzo Berea. And he is running for New York City Council District 26. Thank you. And How? you know what? To tie things up, because we are looking at an yeah. hour. About, about to be done. So, Sandrea, what do you got going on this week? Because you know you're the hardest working woman in New York City, darling. Absolutely. You got everything happening. Just ask him for the strength. That's, That's all. all right. mm -hmm. yes, Every he'll day. Um, he'll give it to you. U.S. for BLM, of course. Um, you know, still organizing that. It's getting cold. The weather's changing. So we will... Um, 
you know, we're assessing things, but we're still out there every night at 7 p.m. Um, How many days? That's like, what, 112? 120, about 124, maybe. Amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. Big since shout June out. 2nd. That's since June 2nd. Give them the beat. And she <laughs> out there with her, her megaphone. Yes, yes. She out there with her megaphone. Yeah. And Stan, what are yeah. you up to? Oh, I'm not finished. Oh, oh, so oh, she got oh, more. See, she she got yeah. more. No. Um, um, and yeah. looking to, you know, do some food. Um, so for some, because our seniors are pretty much taken care of with the food, Good. but there are some residents that are, you know, have issues financially. So I work with um, my council member's office um, to try to give food at least once a month, 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 a bag of food from mm-hmm. a pantry. So I'm waiting on a call back from that. And um, I'm actually looking into doing something <coughs> for the seniors for early voting okay. we to, to get them up on something, to, yes. especially with this holiday. Oh thing. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and just um, you know, whatever I got to do, I'm on a community board. I'm not going to say the board, but I'm mm-hmm. on a community board. So you know, you have to make those meetings. But I just also want to lift up our guests for next week, if that's okay. Oh yes, yeah, that's, absolutely. That's okay. So next week we have Manny Martinez, resident council president of Jamaica Houses, coming through. Yes. Come through, come through. Come through, come through. We're going to continue the conversation yeah. we started uh, with Claudia. So yeah. it should be very interesting. All right. Stan, what you got going on, babe? Uh, we're going to be delivering food again in Ravenswood um, on Wednesday, um, food on, in Queensbridge on Friday. Hope there's no letter from Trump in those boxes. Mm. So we'll see how that goes. <laughs> and then we're going to have uh, a meeting this week for my Queensboro president campaign. Uh, we meet every other Wednesday to kind of keep the pan game, campaign going. And we're looking to have a fundraiser shortly uh, within the next three weeks. You know, so we'll be talking more about that. And folks have to give. If they want people like me or Lorenzo or some of the other folks that we had on this show to run, it is not going to happen if the community does not support us. You know, so we're not going to get big donations from anybody else. So it has to be those small donations like Lorenzo's beginning or we don't stand a chance to win. So I'll be having more information about that. And uh, we're going to keep this fight going. Well, we're okay. looking forward to it. And Lorenzo, you have anything going on? Tell them where they can, can vote. How can they give money to your campaign? That's yeah. right. Uh, yeah, I mean, if you if you guys find me on social media, Lorenzo Brea twenty six on Twitter and Instagram, Lorenzo Brea on Facebook. Um, also, my email is Brea B R E A at votelorenzo dot com. Uh, you guys can email me. Um, you know, be a part of our mailing list. Get, keep get, keep getting updates about what's going on in the community. You know, being part of these. These, they, these actions as well, these actions are, are extremely important. Black Lives Matter against ICE, uh, as well as community building Fridays and giving out food and, and, and clothing. Um, but also, I do, got, I, want, I do want to leave you guys with a message, um, and that is to constantly keep in mind, you know, this is love right here. You know, I really appreciate being on the show with you guys. Um, and, and so as we, as we feel love, we want to give love. And so I continue to find out where love may not be getting received and it tends to be people that look like me that are my age that are hustling go-getters money makers mm-hmm. that just so happen to maybe out of school or, or selling drugs um so you know to the point where we can appreciate them understand their circumstances and incorporate them in anything that happens in our community is where we'll see these rippling effects with seniors with the youth with the police with public safety with housing anything um you know we have the answers we have the energy you know take advantage of us um, and, and, you know, we're a part of that movement. So now that you have my contact, reach out to me and find out how we can make that happen. Awesome. Okay. Awesome. And we're going to put all of that information in the field for you when we tie up the show. We want to thank you once again for joining us for One Nitra. Remember, you can check us out on Spotify, 
You can get a rebroadcast on Facebook. You can also check us out on our YouTube channel, which is One NYCHA. Click like and subscribe. You are also on Anchor, Breaker, Radio Public, and Google Podcast. Yeah. One NYCHA TV, YouTube. One NYCHA TV. YouTube, YouTube. So, if we're all done, we'll see you next time. Let's lift off. Remember, be positive (laughs) and test negative. We'll see you next week. Absolutely. Shout out to Rock. Started all this for the vision. Let's be good, Rock.